afternoon and welcome to the second podcast by the Nurses and Allied Healthcare Professionals Committee. Uh, my name is Elena Conoscenti. I'm an infection control nurse and I'm an elect member of the Nurses and Allied Healthcare Professionals and currently undertaking a PhD on surgical site infections. Uh, today I'm here with uh, Laura Marie Alberto and Halcel Alfonso and we're going to discuss life after sepsis from two different perspectives, adult and neonatal. Um, Good afternoon, girls. Um, I'm just going to introduce you both. Um, Laura Maria Alberto is an Argentinian critical care nurse. She's an associate researcher to the National Scientific and Technical Research Council Argentina, and she's a professor of nursing and researcher at the Research Institute for Research in Medicine and Health Science at Universidad del Salvador in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Laura's research interests include critical care practice, the early recognition of sepsis and recovery from sepsis and long COVID-19. Good afternoon, Laura. I'm just going to introduce um, Elsa Alfonso. She's a neonatal intensive care nurse and senior lecturer in Cambridge. Besides her especially training in NICU, she has a master's in global health, where she looked at inequality of healthcare delivery in neonatal services. And she's currently undertaking a PhD on the topic of neonatal sepsis. Elsa's research interests are the impact of neonatal sepsis in mortality and morbidity in the NICU. So um, um, let's let's start and let's start to discuss sepsis and and see how sepsis is a problem. Um, Laura, would you like to start from an adult perspective? Yes, thank you, Elena. I am delighted to be here with you, sharing um, and discussing the problem of sepsis. Well, sepsis occurs when the body's response to an infection damages its own tissues and organs. It compromises life if not recognized and treated early. Sepsis is a global health problem. Almost 50 million are affected every year. 11 million will die. And those who survive, almost 40 million will suffer lasting consequences. These consequences are um, in, severe, in, in various aspects of uh, life. Uh, the person can experience cognitive and functional impairment, disability, mental health problems, depression, anxiety, and the impairments will compromise the quality of life, not only of life of the sepsis survivors, but also uh, the quality of life of the family and carers. These impairments are known as post-sepsis syndrome or post-ICU syndrome. Those survivors are prone to new infections and readmission and eventually late mortality, probably because sepsis has affected the microbiome and the immune system, and these alterations make the person vulnerable to new infections and new comorbidities. 
That's in general what happens with the adults, but I'm wondering how is it uh, with the neonates? Thank you, Laura. Well, with, with neonates, well, the, the pathophysiology is very similar, but we have two main types of sepsis depending on when sepsis starts. You've got early onset sepsis, which suggests that there's something going on um, with with the with the in the in the birth and in and in the perinatal uh, stage, and it happens within the first 72 hours of life. You've got also late onset sepsis, which is linked to a late response to any neuter exposure. It happens after 72 hours or to the postnatal environment. It, it, for this reason, we often uh, consider late onset sepsis a healthcare associated infection, and it it is one of the major causes of mortality in neonates. Um, there's about uh, well, in morbidity as well. So there's about 3 million newborns affected by sepsis per year in the world. And, and in 2019, the data around mortality was about 375,000. So neonates either, uh, it's either a cause of mortality um, or, or, or a, a primarily or a frequent contributor, especially when babies are very small in preterm. Um, most, most babies who have sepsis um, um, and recover, don't have a lot of complications, but a lot of them do develop um, long-term health issues, such as what you described in adults. More than one third of babies who survive sepsis will have some sort of cognitive uh, delay or altered quality of life, especially when it happens, uh, when they're very premature. And actually the majority of especially late onset sepsis episodes occurs in, in very small, very low birth weight and premature babies. Um, it's interesting that um, at, at almost half of neonatal sepsis survivors return to hospital at least once after recovery, and we're talking about infants and, and children. Um, it's also interesting, and I'm, I'm sure that maybe it's not very different in, in adults, that the majority of sepsis episodes in, occur globally in low and middle income countries. Uh, and it's really hard to, to know exactly what happens to these to these patients because we don't have a lot of data, but we know that the burden is is huge uh, in neonatal sepsis. Thank you both for generally um, introduced the topic of sepsis from both perspectives. And um, I'm just wondering if you kind of could cover and describe how sepsis uh, affect people from the from different perspectives. So from a physical point of view, from a cognitive. And I'm curious as well to just know a little bit more about the social economic aspects since Halsa, you um, mentioned already the, the differences in um, um, medium and low middle countries. Thank you, Elena. Um, well, sepsis affects people's lives, uh, as you said, in the cognitive and physical perspective. If we look at the cognitive um, aspect, cognitive uh, sepsis survivors experience cogn cognitive impairment, which includes alterations in verbal memory, visual and spatial memory, executive function, attention, concentration, psychomotor speed, mental flexibility, efficiency in the visual scanning, are those cognitive functions that are affected after sepsis. Studies varied, as, uh, as uh, Elsa said, the evidence is coming from uh, 
the high income countries mostly, but what we know so far is there are variations, despite the variations in the studies and populations, uh, the cognitive problems ranged from 10 to 50% at three months, with one in five survivors reporting executive dysfunction at six months, and one in three still remained uh, cognitively impaired at one year. Some recovered to normal at three months with young sepsis survivors with mild cognitive impairment becoming normal to one year. But those who are uh, older that uh, report poorer cognitive functions with only slight improvement over one year. So they are the ones who are more vulnerable to sepsis and also uh, they they remain um, impaired after sepsis as well. And among those older people who are one in three uh, of severe sepsis survivors who are admitted to an skilled nursing facility due to high levels of dependency, they will be very severe, cognitively impaired and highly dependent. So sepsis affects them very, very badly. In terms of the physical function, is the ability of, to perform activities of daily living that requires physical actions ranging from self-care to more complex activities that require a combination of skills. This functions is also uh, compromised after sepsis. Again, the there is a variation in the studies, but reports are um, stating that 50% of sepsis survivors report some level of dependence in their activities of daily living at six months. Uh, surgical sepsis survivors are also very compromised. They develop uh, chronic critical illness, and one in three of those who develop chronic critical illness uh, will be uh, remain impaired, and or will be uh, and for I'm sorry, forty one percent of those who develop chronic critical illness will be impaired or died at one year, and that is dictated most of the time by the health status prior the episode of sepsis. The complex, uh, that is, uh, they always, uh, after a sepsis episode, there's always a new disability vulnerable. And from the socioeconomic perspective, as Elsa said, in low and middle income settings, um, there are uh, limited resources. We actually do not have too much information about what happens because uh, depending on the country or who is paying for the, that care and the health services, uh, the family and uh, relatives of the survivor will be uh, economically or financially challenged in seeking care. But in in uh, in low and middle income countries, we don't have too much information about that, so I can't say much, but we can discuss further 
about what we could uh, 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 what information is available but i am curious about what happened with the neonatal perspective yeah it's interesting because it's it's I mean, if, with all with the due differences, because it's a different population, it's it's the the, the levels at which sepsis uh, affects uh, the, the these patients is is somewhat similar. So there's a this cognitive impact, this physical impact, and obviously social impact. Uh, picking picking from what you said on this on social impact first, uh, obviously we're thinking about uh, children who um, who will be. Um, have some sort of, of of disability and who will have special needs and it's about you know how the families can cope and how the healthcare system can cope but yeah we can discuss that a, a bit later because there is a there's an awful lot of inequality if we talk about different settings and obviously we don't know how much sepsis is affecting um, these these babies in in uh, in in lower middle income countries so we do know but it's 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 limited than what happens to the survivors especially um and obviously if we know already that it impacts people in um in families in high income countries because we do know and there is data about that uh, it will definitely be the same or even worse in, in low income countries. So when I talk about infants being uh, becoming um, becoming um, with some level of disability, obviously it doesn't happen to all of them. And like I said, it, it really depends on somewhat like like adults. It depends on how vulnerable they are when they acquire sepsis. And by, by vulnerability in neonatal care, we mean early low um, extreme low birth weight. Uh, so anything a baby's weighing less than 1500 grams at birth or severely preterm, which are is anyone who is born less than 28 weeks or less than 33 weeks, actually, gestation. As we know, the normal gestation is 37. So anything below that, babies are, are at more risk of sepsis and the consequences of sepsis. So th there is there is a there's the first study around neurodevelopmental growth outcomes of sepsis was done in 2004. And infants were followed up to 18 months and 24 months, which are key moments in which we look at cognitive development in these children. And it was seen that infants with a history of confirmed neonatal infection have an increased rate of severe neurodevelopment outcomes. Uh, other studies have reported a fourfold increase in cerebral palsy in very low birth weights with sepsis when compared to infants without sepsis within the same uh, weight range. So we, we know that sepsis, uh, sepsis affects these infants directly through the, the inflammatory processes that happen uh, and that affect brain development. Well, at least that's 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 one of the hypotheses, at least. But we also know that the treatment of sepsis, well, antibiotics, especially aminoglycosides, can affect, for example, hearing um, um, abilities, and and they can cause severe hearing impairment, which in in very young children will ultimately lead to cognitive impairment as well. Um, so, for example, um, aminoglycoside autotoxicity, for example, gentamicin autotoxicity, uh, which is widely used in neonates, is is a known complication of prolonged um, high drug levels. So, um, it's 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 really um, um, about how we treat these infants for sepsis, and they might survive sepsis because they received the appropriate treatment. But the consequence of this was that they they've had some sort of of, of neurodevelopment um, poor outcome. Also uh, related to, for example, physical function, neonates with infection are also at risk of uh, circulatory and respiratory insufficiency with decreased systemic blood pressure, hypoxemia and pathological alterations of cerebral blood flow. 
And um, if we consider how immature these infants are to start with, sepsis will only aggravate the impact of this. So any consequences of prematurity, such as, for example, issues with breathing, bronchopulmonary dysplasias or necrotizing enterocolitis, which affects the gut and the infants that then develop what we call a short gut syndrome, which are infants who then need parenteral and, um, and, uh, and nasogastric tube feeding for prolonged times, which affects them going to school and affects their relationship with their peers. And it, it, with the physical function does affect the cognitive development um, as well. So they will likely have a compromised childhood as they may show these cognitive and physical characteristics that distinguish them from their peers. So they are quite different and this can have a major impact on children and families. So then how this the consequences that this has on families and the social impact of sepsis survival is, is huge for these children and, and these families. Um, and... And yeah, and I don't know if you wanted to develop a bit more on that in the in the on the adult side, because it is something that it's quite a, you know, it's quite an important aspect of, of, of sepsis survival, Laura. Yeah, that I mean, well, in the adult side, we have we we see the, the similar problems. Of course, a uh, quality of life uh, will be definitely affected by by uh, an episode of sepsis, uh, quality of life, uh, uh, the families, the carers uh, will be also uh, having mental health issues. Um, the uh, fifty to twenty percent of sepsis survivors will be uh, uh, reporting moderate to severe problems in any quality of life domain. That is what the studies are show, studies on quality of life. And these ranges are, uh, these, there are great variation in the populations that why research is so important. At 90 days, there will be still uh, survivors with problems in mobility, self-care, uh, having uh, uh, problems to, to, to undertake the usual activities, having pain and discomfort, anxiety and depression. So mental health is a huge problem, not only on the sepsis survivors, but also in the family who have to cope with the recovery and the challenges of the recovery. And I think the other um, uh, aspect is that this lasts in time. These issues are last, last in time. And actually, we do not know how long they last. There are um, large studies, and uh, particularly in the US, they have followed up a large cohort study on one study uh, on, on retirement, uh, and they could uh, follow up uh, sepsis survivors for up to eight years and 10 years. And they have shown that there is cognitive and physical decline after sepsis. And this decline can last up mm -hmm. to eight years after the episode of sepsis. And sepsis survivors develop these new disabilities affecting them. And that there are not too many studies uh, relied, uh, following people uh, such a long period of time. So the problem is... Um, uh, is uh, something that we do not know uh, uh, the how the uh, big is the problem 
So I think we are facing, we have some similarities with the neonatal and I think the challenges for the families are, are very significant. That's for the, to summarize from the, the adult side. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, there are so many aspects that uh, really needs to be addressed when it comes to life after sepsis. Um, and thank you for your expertise. I'm just wondering, as nurses, uh, if you could briefly um, give your insight on our role in reducing the burden of sepsis as nurses, really. Um, and what are really the take on messages in terms of priorities, since there is so much to do, um, what do you, do you reckon to be uh, the, the top priorities to be addressed? Well, uh, thank you for, uh, for um, uh, the question. Yes, I think nurses, we should advise in particularly in infection prevention. I think it is key. Infection prevention is the best uh, treatment strategy, and uh, encourage people to have uh, to be vaccinated. We should inform our, our community have all our vaccine shots on time in all ages, and I, I'm sure uh, Elsa will will uh, will will have a say on this as well on on. On, on vaccines on, on, on children, but from the other perspective, that's the best strategy for to, to prevent infections in the community. And also, I think nurses, we should, we should be more, we should be active, we could be active uh, in uh, the international recommendations. The WHO recommends a national initiatives that in, includes um, providing information to the public, and also having a strategy to recognize, treat, and investigate sepsis and help uh, people in the recovery. And I think we can involve on those initiatives. And also the, the gap in research. I think there are very several challenges to conduct sepsis research, particularly after sepsis. Um, but there is a need for us to be involved in sepsis research and particularly sepsis survivorship so we can uh, develop more evidence in, in all populations so we can inform sepsis survivorship care in the future. Thank you, uh, Laura. I wouldn't add much more to that. I definitely agree that nurses are really relevant in infection prevention and NICU is not an exception. Uh, and, and a lot of the sepsis that happens in hospitals, especially the one that affects neonates the, the most, in, in, at least in high income countries, uh, will be preventable. So nurses do should have a, a, a seminal role in that. Uh, and I agree the health promotion and strategies to prevent sepsis in the community should be also something that we could focus on and it's really important like vaccination, uh, early early warning signs, etc. Uh, but I, I think most of all, um, nurses should be advocates for patients and for families, at least in the neonatal, uh, in, in the neonatal context and obviously in the adults as well. Um, we should we should really be aware um, uh, of the consequences of, of sepsis and that they, these these patients will need more support and we should be advocates for, for the for the for the service provision 
um, in the in the community in the communities, whether we're talking about mm, high income countries, middle or low income countries, and we can definitely maybe do some um, advocacy for improving the research in 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 neglected areas um, such as lower and middle income countries um, and, and empower the nursing workforce to be more proactive in this, um, in, especially in these areas where it's so needed, because in the end, you know, the adults, um, ad, you know, we, we are improving the healthcare of the of the population. And in my case, or in the neonatal case, uh, it, these are these are the generation of adults. Uh, so if we can, if we can ensure they maintain a good quality of life through to adulthood, it, it will be brilliant. Okay, um, I'd say it's just time for us to um, conclude our podcast and I just want to uh, take the time for thanking you both, both our experts, for taking the time to discuss the topic with us. Um, sepsis is such a common uh, topic and life after sepsis is a big topic and it, it's it's very much discussed but I, I could say i could really see that there is um room for learning and exploring and really take thanks for taking the time to share your expertise with us thank you thank you elena thank you laura